So today, the title of the message is The Importance of the Incarnation. The Importance of the Incarnation. And uh, kind of the subtitle that I'm going with is, uh, is Fix Our Focus. So we're going to work on fixing our focus this morning. Um, I was going to make that the, the main title, but it seemed a little like too trendy or something to, to say fix our focus. Um, so the importance of the incarnation. Sound good? Yep. Cool. All right, we're going to pray and then we'll jump in. Lord, thank you so much that you are here in our midst, that you uh, care for us, that you love us. And uh, Lord, as we fix our focus this morning, I just pray that we would tune in to what you want us to focus on this season. I pray that we would uh, not just go along with the currents of our culture or the things around us and the hustle and bustle and all of those things, but help us to really focus in on what you have to communicate to us. Lord, uh, this season is so powerful and so beautiful because of this incredible event that happened in human history of Jesus coming to earth. And so help us to really grasp that and the importance of it and help us to um, just live differently as a result. We're so grateful for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I think Christmas time in our society, in our culture, really exemplifies what false doctrine of the incarnation looks like what it looks like to have a false view of the incarnation and the power that it holds. We, uh, we see all over the place, even on the roof of our building here, we see these cutesy little nativity scenes, right? We see um, them all over the place. We sing these Christmas songs that talk about Jesus coming on a calm, silent night. Um, we focus on family and giving and receiving gifts, um, you know, obviously, giving and receiving gifts is kind of like a, you know, remembrance of the wise men who gave gifts to Jesus when he was born. So we do that as kind of a tradition. Um, well, you know, we host a nativity, a live nativity over on our West Campus, and people come who are probably not believers, and they sing along, um, and they have no problem doing that. They sing about the coming of Jesus, and they aren't offended by the message, Right. We have uh, these Advent calendars that you pick up for your kids and you count down to Christmas uh, to celebrate the day of Christmas, right? Um, maybe for you, you watch a Hallmark movie. Does anyone watch Hallmarks to like kind of bring in the Christmas season? Nobody? There's like two people that watch Hallmarks? Okay. So, <clears throat> three. Boom. So, um, me and my wife watched a Hallmark movie this week, uh, and it was wild. You would not believe the plot. Um, so what happened was there was this big city girl, right? But she didn't have the big city boyfriend. That was like the first key of like, what is happening? This can't be a hallmark, right? And so she goes to this little town, and they have this adorable Christmas festival, if you can believe it. Does anyone know? And uh, she meets this guy, right? And... Uh, they kind of hit it off, and then she's got to go back to the big city. And what really struck me was that he ended up moving to the big city to be with her instead of her moving to the little town to be with him, right? I mean, it was just, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. I don't know if they can really consider it a Hallmark movie if, you know, if she doesn't move to the small town to be with him, and she doesn't break up with the big city boyfriend who's a total jerk. You know, I don't know. 
But anyway, we watched a Hallmark movie this week. Um, but I just wonder, you know, of all the things we do in our culture, in our society to gear up for Christmas and the, and the ramping up for it, I wonder just how we've been influenced here in the church in our worldview of the incarnation and of Jesus and how we've been influenced by this like nice, aesthetic, kind of out of focus picture of Christmas. So my goal this morning is to hopefully help us to refocus ourselves on what scripture says the incarnation is really about and the power behind it. Okay? That sound good? Okay. So we do all these things, right? We have all these Christian traditions that that have been influenced by Christian events, right? But, um, you know, like the symbolism um, of, you know, giving gifts like we talked about or, you know, all these different things, they, they just kind of distract us from, I think, what we really ought to be focusing on um, in our Christian faith, right? This, this story has the ability to really impact us. And I remember growing up thinking, like coming to Christmas time and really like not looking forward to it, right? Because the songs are slower and the, you know, the story is the same every year. Like why, you know, we're just doing the same thing. You know, it's not that exciting. But the reality is that it's really exciting. Like when we get a hold of what's the Christmas story is really about what it really means, then um, it's totally life-changing. It's totally life-changing. So we're going to try to fix our focus this morning and really focus in on what God has. So what is the incarnation really about? What is God coming to earth in the form of a man taking on flesh and entering our world really about? I think the enemy wants to shift our focus in this season. I think he wants to Uh, control how we see all of these things and make sure that it's cutesy and nice and surface level and all of that. The devil wants to skew these things. The devil wants to confuse it and fuzzy our perspective and muddle it up um, with orchestrating family events and doing all the business things of the holiday season. Um, He wants to bring out of focus what's really important and bring into focus the unimportant. That's what the enemy wants to do. I don't think the enemy really minds our celebration of Christmas. I don't think he really minds. I don't think he minds that we decorate our houses or that we buy an advent calendar for our kids or that we set up a little nativity scene. I think he loves when our focus is on the wrong thing. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do those things. I'm just saying I think the enemy is working overtime to focus us on everything that we shouldn't be focused on so that we won't focus on what we should focus on. So how can the enemy accomplish this? How does he do it? Well, I think he takes one of the most miraculous, incredible events of our faith that the whole culture really focuses on. I mean, even if it's off or their perspective is off a little bit, the whole culture changes, right? Like we, we have lights all up and down the village, everybody's saying Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays or whatever at the store. It, it, but what the enemy wants to do, even though our whole culture is focused around it, is he wants to oversimplify it, tone it down, bring the unimportant to the forefront and bring the important, life-changing, incredible message and allow that to fade into the background. So I'm going to put up a picture of a potato. 
um, on the screen. This is a potato from my house. Um, and so, yeah, that's it. I just wanted to show you this potato. Um, <laughs> no, so, uh, <clears throat> so in this picture, the potato is in focus, right? And whatever's over here, you really can't like see what's going on. You can't really see it exactly. But if we flip to the next image, you can see now the potato's out of focus and you can see the background, right? So it really matters, like the same exact picture, we can look at the same picture, but if our focus is wrong, then we're gonna miss the whole thing, right? In the first picture, you can't even see anything that's going on over here. And I think that's kind of what the enemy wants to do. I think he wants to bring out of focus what's important and bring into focus what's unimportant, okay? So C.S. Lewis, he has this book called The Screwtape Letters. I don't know if you've read it before, but basically the, the book is written from the perspective of demons. And the demons are conspiring to how they can trip up and confuse and deceive the humans. And the humans in this book are called mortals. Okay, so I'm going to read this little quick quote from the Screwtape Letters. It is funny how mortals always picture us putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. The enemy, his best work is done by keeping things out of our minds, not necessarily putting things in. So today, we're going to do our best to put what we should be focusing on into our minds. We're going to think about the incarnation of Jesus. We're going to study it a little bit. And it's not going to be the picturesque, easy, tame, palatable version of the incarnation, but what it really is. We're going to bring the focus to what's important and bring out of focus what is not. Did I say that enough? We good? Okay. So today we're going to read from John chapter 1. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to read starting in verse 14. All right. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You can take your seats. Take your seats. It's kind of fun just to wake you up a little bit. Okay. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The God of the universe, Jesus, became flesh. He took on flesh. He took on the form of humanity. The one who is outside of space and time. The one who is living in perfect paradise. The one who is the beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega. The one who comes riding in on the white horse at the end with it written on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He who has overcome the world, who spoke the world into existence and all the things uh, inside and outside the world into existence, and he sustains all of those things. That man, that God that we serve became human. He willingly humiliated himself. He brought himself low and he wrapped himself in flesh. He became human entering his creation. Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, wraps himself in humanity 
and comes not just in the form of a baby to a woman, but he comes in the form of an embryo in his mother's womb. Jesus, the Son of God, existed as an embryo in his mother's womb. This is why we value human life from the moment of conception. Jesus, the Son of God, took on human form in its most vulnerable state. I remember someone sharing a statistic that uh, being in the womb is actually the most dangerous place that someone can exist in our culture today in America. Uh, More than, you know, the inner city violence and all of that, abortion takes more lives than, than all of those other things. And, you know, um, in August, I was watching the first GOP debate. I don't know if anyone else watched that. I, hadn't wa- I haven't watched any of the debates since um, because I was so disappointed in the abortion topic and how it was handled. Um, basically, the most, they, they were kind of competing with each other of who could be the most radical, right? Of, of who could have the, the you know, the, the biggest ban on abortion, the most radical one, said that they would have a 15-week abortion law, but people were like, oh, I would have a 20-week. Oh, I would have an 18-week. Oh, you know, I, you know what? I would even have a 15-week. You know what I would do? I would have a 15-week. And I just thought to myself, not a single person in here is going to say that, that abortions just shouldn't happen. Like, we don't have anyone who's willing to say that. And I was just so angered by that. God answered the question of when life begins 2,000 years ago, when he came to earth and took on humanity in the form of an embryo. Jesus himself uh, humbles himself and wraps himself in flesh. Vodi Bakum says, Jesus is all that man ought to be in his humanity, and he has the authority to dictate all that man ought to be in his deity. He is the God-man. Jesus is all that man ought to be in his humanity, and he has the authority to dictate all that man ought to be in his deity. It's such a powerful event. So we're going to stand and read some more scriptures. So stand with me. All right, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all these things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. You can take your seats. So verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. 
The Greek word is icon. He's the icon of the invisible God. He's the representation of the invisible God in human form. So the, the um, I'm going to throw up the picture of the potato again. It's going to be really good, okay? Okay, so i got to remember where I was going with this analogy. Okay, real quick. Okay, so the image of the invisible God, right? So if I said, this is a potato, you would say, yes, that's a potato, right? Would you say, that's a potato? Okay. You wouldn't say, that's not a potato, that's an image of a potato. Curtis, you're being silly. No, it's a potato, okay? So just like that is a potato. <laughs> this is so silly, I'm sorry. All right, just like that is a potato, you wouldn't say that's the image of a potato. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, okay? Silliest uh, analogy ever, I'll apologize. You know, anyway, hopefully Pastor Steve isn't watching. Okay. <laughs> John 14, 7 through 10. <laughs> if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father in me? The words that I spoke to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. So what's happening here is the disciples are asking Jesus, hey, show us the Father. Show us who the Father is. And they've spent a lot of time with Jesus up until this point. And Jesus is like stunned that they're asking this question, right? <laughs> and so Jesus responds, and he says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. He's the image of the invisible God. He is God in the flesh. He's the image of the invisible God. And then it says he's the firstborn of all creation. This means that he's preeminent over all creation. It doesn't mean that he's the first one created. Jehovah's Witnesses will say he's the first one created. He's not the first one created. He, he created all things. He is preeminent over all creation. He is over it all because he created it all. Okay? We got that straight? Okay. So then verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or principalities or powers, all these things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So, not only did he create everything seen and unseen, visible and invisible, but in him all things consist. All things consist. That means he literally holds all things together. Jesus who came in human form, holds all things together at all times. You are being held together by Jesus right now. Did you know that? This building, the chair that you're sitting on, everything is being held together by Jesus. If he decided not to hold everything together for, a, for just a split second, it would be obliterated in a moment. Jesus is holding us together, literally. Then verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in these things he may have the preeminence. So 
Just like he's preeminent over all creation because he created it, he's also preeminent over death. He's over death. He was the first one to die and conquer death, and he's never going to die again. Okay, that's what that means. So verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in him all of the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all these things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. I don't know if you're like me in this at all, but um, I sometimes have a hard time believing that God likes me. Does anyone else ever feel that way? Like, what? <laughs> well, like, I don't feel that likable sometimes, especially by the God of the universe, the one who sees everything, knows everything, and is, you know, <laughs> just just amazing, right? He's, he's way higher than we are. And sometimes I just struggle with the fact that, okay, God loves me and he likes me. Um, and it's, you know, I don't struggle with it necessarily because of anything that I've done. I just feel like I can't imagine the God of the universe finding me likable, you know? Do you ever feel that way? It's just me. Okay, good. <laughs> Makes me feel really good. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the reality is that God's desire has been to dwell with humanity since the beginning. Did you know that? His desire has been to dwell with humanity since the very beginning. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden... It's, it's perfection, right? God has created this garden and he's placed uh, animals and, and humans in it. He speaks the entire world into existence. And then he walked with humans, right? He had communion with them. And this was his perfect design. His perfect design that was ruined by the sin that we brought into the situation, right? But God's desire was to dwell with us, to have communion with us. That's his, been his desire since the beginning. Do you believe that? Yeah. yeah? So our sin brought the separation from God, right? He didn't desire that, but in his perfection, in his holiness, he can't be in the presence of sin. So we were separated from God. Then a little bit later on in Scripture, we see that the Israelites um, are trying to make their way, and God instructs them to build a tabernacle, right? And God uh, puts His Spirit in the tabernacle. He, he dwells in the tabernacle amongst His people. He wanted to dwell with them then. And then He sends His prophets to try to get his people back on track. He's, he's, he sends his prophets to try to call them into, uh, to try to correct them into a place of their, they will acknowledge their sin and turn from their sin and turn back to God. And so God's sending prophets and, and people to speak to them so that hopefully he can reconcile the people of Israel to himself and so that he can walk with them again. His desire was to dwell with them. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. God's desire was that they would turn from their wicked ways, acknowledge him, and so that he could heal them and forgive their sin, to bring them into right relationship with him again. God was continually reaching out, hoping that they would turn back to him, hoping that he could restore right relationship with them and dispose of their sin. God has desired to dwell with humanity throughout all of human history. Then there's this long pause, right? This silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, about 425 years of, of quiet. And then this happens. This happens, right? After this long pause, this long time where God has been working with Israel, trying to work on them, trying to call them back to himself, trying to reconcile them to himself, trying to bring humanity back into right relationship with him. And then this happens, John 1, 14 again, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God's desire was to dwell with us through all of human history, and then he sent his son. He sent his son in the flesh to dwell among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The God we serve has been desiring to dwell with us through all of human history. Jesus, the God-man, he comes and dwells in our midst. This is the message of the Incarnation. This is the message of Christmas. This is the importance of the Incarnation. I think people sometimes look at the Incarnation of Jesus and think, like, why did God do it that way? Like, why did he send Jesus in the form of a human being? And when you look at it as a singular event, you might think, like, oh, this has some validity, right? Like, why? This seems so random. Like, throughout all human history, and then he sends his son as an embryo in his mother's womb to be born and then to pay the penalty for our sin? Like, why? That's kind of a strange way to do it, right? Couldn't he have done it another way? Well, the answer is that he's been desiring communion with us since the beginning, right? When you, when you see it from that perspective, Jesus came to earth because he wanted to dwell with humans, and he wanted to save humanity to reconcile us back to God so that we could have right relationship with him. It wasn't a random event. It wasn't just a roll of the dice idea that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit came up with. It was a beautiful plan of redemption. So Jesus, he comes to earth with this desire for communion with humanity. And Jesus when he's on earth, he doesn't just spill love and grace and truth out of every pore to every human he encounters because he felt like it was the right thing to do, right? He didn't do that because it was a nice example for us to follow later on, right? He didn't love people and have grace for people and give people the truth better than anyone else and do it so gracefully while he was on earth, just to give us a good example. He came because 
he loved us. And he expressed his love and grace and gave us truth out of his great love for us, out of his desire to reconcile us to himself. It wasn't just a nice example. Love, grace, and truth spilled out of him because he loves humanity. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe God loves me? God loves humanity so much that he left his throne. He left his heavenly home. He left his comfort to come to us, to sacrificially love, to sacrificially serve, to sacrificially give of himself to humanity whom he loves beyond measure. We sang earlier the son of suffering. Oh, praise the one who would reach for me. That's what Jesus did. He reached for us. When he came down from heaven to save us from our sin, he reached for us. Jesus, the God-man, came to earth to express his great love for you, for each and every one of you, not only in the way that he lived, but in the way that he died. Romans 5, 8 through 10 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we were enemies, we were, uh, for when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the, son, through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we shall also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So, this Christmas season, don't let the enemy shift your focus to the wrong things, the things that aren't really important. Instead, let's be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Let's allow the message of Jesus, the God-man who loved you so much and loved humanity so much that he crossed the great divide the great divide that our sin had created. He crossed the chasm that our sin had created and he took the penalty for our sin and he died a sinner's death in our place. He suffered in our place. He paid the debt that we could not pay so that we might come into communion with him. That's why he came. So he came to accomplish that. He came to take away our sin if we'll receive his grace. But it didn't stop there, right? And then he sent his Holy Spirit as an assurance of his return to come back for us, to dwell with us. So we we have his Holy Spirit in our hearts if we've accepted the grace of the Lord Jesus, and it's dwelling in our hearts. We can dwell with him anytime we want until Jesus comes back to get us. So God's desire is to dwell with you this season. His desires to dwell with you. How can you dwell with him? You've got time off most likely. And I know it's tempting to fill it with family and busyness and parties and whatever else. But how can you cut out time to dwell with God in this time when he, when we're remembering all that he did to dwell with us? It's the enemy's desire to get us out of focus. The God of the universe, 
is wanting to dwell with you, what will you do? Will you get out of focus? Will you just do what the enemy wants you to do? Will you get busy? Or will you cut out time and say, I'm going to dwell with my Father in heaven. I'm going to spend time with him. And you know what the beautiful thing about dwelling is? The beautiful thing about dwelling is that it doesn't take much to do it, right? It doesn't take much to dwell. It doesn't take anything special. It doesn't take any striving or preparation. All you need to do is to be with him, to enjoy him, and to speak with him. When was the last time you did that? Maybe the, maybe the answer for you or part of the instigation for you will be to pick up a soap journal and to just dig into the word each morning and do that scripture, observation, application, and prayer every day, just dwelling with him. I took a little drive on Friday and just uh, tried to practice what I was going to (laughs) preach and uh, went uh, through Sea Canyon and got to the peak there and parked and uh, got was seeing Morro Rock and just this beautiful scenery and just sat there and just um, just talked to God for a while. It was so beautiful. Don't miss out on that. God's God's reaching out to you. He's reaching out to you. He came to dwell with you. He came to bridge the divide. The, the sin that we had, he, he took care of that so that we can be in communion with him. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. If you have not accepted the grace of the Lord Jesus to be in communion with him, I'd encourage you to do that. I'd encourage you to recognize your need for a Savior from your sin. I'd I'd encourage you to recognize that He is Lord of all, that He's the Creator of all, that He's the one who's sustaining everything. And I would encourage you to look to Him as your Lord, as your Savior, and as your Redeemer. He stands at the door and knocks. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you desire to dwell with us, that you desire to dwell with us in in our humanity. Lord, that you came and suffered and died so that we might be brought into right relationship with you. Help us not to be distracted by the, the things that can so easily get us off track. But Lord, help us to focus on what's really important. Help us to focus on dwelling with our Heavenly Father. Help us to focus on spending time with you and developing our relationship with you. And I pray that if there's anyone in here who knows that they have not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they do that today and that they they come into right relationship with you and dwell with you. Lord, so will you just empower us, just strengthen us, challenge us where we need to be challenged, help us to prioritize the right things because if you're not the priority, then, then what is? What could possibly be more important than the God of the universe reaching out to us? Help us to reach back out to you as well. In Jesus' name, amen.